Revenue R&D is the scientific process of advancing net new revenue programs from a concept into fully integrated into your company, delivering millions of dollars in pipeline using the scientific method and standardized data. Um, the whole goal here is to have a pipeline of innovation just like you have for your product. You have pipeline of in innovation for your revenue system. And so this, this shorter range oriented effectiveness function with a lot of autonomy is able to innovate in a different way than your demand gen team or your RevOps team are because of the organizational structure that you put it in. This team is going to be running net new experiments. They're gonna be evaluating programs that are running like your SDR outbound program, like your brand plays or your PR. This is the command center that drives your overall go-to-market strategy to deliver shorter range things. So they're not out here saying who's your ICP or what products should we build. They're saying, what are the best opportunities for us to drive revenue both now and in the next 12 months? And all of the, the strategic parts of RevOps, the analytics, how are we gonna decide on our attribution models and how we do it? How, what KPIs are we going to report and how are they gonna be measured? What is the infrastructure that we need in our business to make good decisions? And all of that strategic work falls into the revenue R&D function. Another term, uh, I'm not sure if you uh, created this one or just popularized it, but uh, revenue R&D or research and development. Uh, can you explain to us what that means? Yeah, revenue R&D actually was my term. I came up with it in August of 2022. Um, after about four years where I, where I went back and looked at patterns of how I executed marketing for a couple of venture-funded companies that I worked for before I started my company and then how I've been able to grow my company and then I, how I, as a consultant and as my team, helps other companies grow, which basically built a scientific process. Just like you do develop your product, your engineering team comes to you and says, hey, the customers want this feature. It's going to take us nine months to build it. Here's this project plan that we're going to build. It's going to show how we get from nothing to launch this feature and so that we know whether or not we're on track. And it's just applying the same basic product development principles that we use in engineering and product development to, to developing marketing programs and putting together a plan over an extended period of time about how your podcast becomes something that drives a million dollars in revenue for you because it's not going to happen in month one. And most B2B companies shut off their podcasts after five or 10 episodes because they don't look at it over a long-term view with a plan of how they're going to get there. And so I've just seen over and over the uh, marketers try and launch a new revenue program and have it get shut off, including myself, have it get shut off or shut down by the executive team within the first three months. And I'm just, it just restricts marketers and it lowers creativity. And it's going to be better for the industry to have a framework about how we're actually going to work through this so that more marketers can be more successful by having a plan for executives on what's working, what's not, and what we're doing next. How long do you think it takes? Uh, I, I'm sure there's a very a huge kind of variation here, but like uh, a B2B company to develop a podcast, how many episodes, how long before they can expect it to start to generate leads or help, uh, help generate leads, I should say? Depends how good you are at it. How, how long is it going to take someone that's 30 years old to try and get into the NBA. It could take forever. If you're LeBron, it wouldn't take more than a day. So like, it depends how good you are on it. 
we had, we were driving business out of our podcast within the first 30 days. I was driving business off of LinkedIn within the first 30 days. I've also been doing paid and organic social media marketing to sell stuff since 2012. And so like, it depends how good you are at it. The, the fact of the matter though, is that we're not going backwards here. So even if you're not good at it, you got to figure out how to be good at it because it's become a core business skill executing on these channels, hosting a podcast, hosting virtual events, posting on, so, on social platforms like LinkedIn, if you sell to a B2B audience, are no longer optional. This person submitted that says, okay, they're a B2B AI SaaS startup, which does seem to be all the rage these days. So it's pretty topical. Um, approaching two years in operations total, they have 10, a total of 10 paying B2B customers. So pretty small. One person is on their marketing team out of 10 total FTEs. It says our founders have full buy-in with regard to frameworks that Refine Labs prescribes. Now we have just launched our first uh, official revenue programs, plural. So it looks like they launched uh, podcasts, social media, and field events all at the same time. How would you advise that we design our exit criteria for the different stages of revenue R&D if our current sales cycle length is 12 months? I think there's a lot you can unpack there. Yeah, taking some notes here. Um, we just updated the Etsy criteria. Sydney, you want to come on here and talk about what you, how you've been adjusting it? All right. Let me come on video here. Wow. Surprise visitor. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. So, yes, we have, um, or we're in the process of updating our exit criteria. And I can kind of walk through some of the ideas behind it. So that can kind of, we can kind of riff on that. I'm going to pull up a document real quick, just so I don't, you know, give you guys some misinformation. <laughs> uh, to quickly kind of answer the question, though, if you have a 12-month sales cycle, the exit criteria that we're moving towards is going to be a little bit more formula-based. So it'd be a little bit more personalized to your business. So let me pull this up. Give me one minute. And we'll go through it. She does that as yeah. While she does that as well, a lot of the exit criteria is based on hero pipeline, which is probably stage two or stage three. So the lag time to overall close one deal is mitigated by using pipeline and win rate combined, as opposed to close one revenue. It's not it's not like immediate, but it shortens the time frame a lot. Yeah, and that's another thing that the exit criteria is based on. Hero Pipeline, which then you can forecast what revenue you're going to get from that um, as well. So the newly proposed exit criteria, we are playing with a revenue program goal. And then so that way this can be personalized and relative to each organization. So we will probably publish this in the vault more formally soon after we test this and get more data from some of our customers. But essentially, what the calculation looks like is step one is to set an acceptable revenue program target. This We went in this direction kind of for two reasons. One, because not all programs have the same revenue expectation inside of a business and can be personalized to your business that way. And then... So you have an acceptable program target, which is a revenue target. You're going to look at your average contract value, which is going to be based on historical six or 12 month sales cycle. 
then you're going to look at your conversion rates, basically from your hero win rate, conversion rate, your conversion rate uh, from pipe conversion to hero and meeting to hero as well. And then we're actually going to back into the standardized gates, phase gates for you based on your company's data set. So we're still standardizing all of our phase criteria. Um, So for example, I'm going to go kind of backwards down. So phase five, to get to phase five, which is scale and sustain, would be 100% of the revenue goal is attained. Phase four, so I'm going to go, you know, kind of bottoms up here, is the, you have 65% of the pipeline goal. So again, you can back into that. It's kind of like a bottoms up formula, something that we will uh, publish soon. Phase three, which is repeatability, would be you've attained 30% of the pipeline you need to get to that revenue goal. Phase two, positive signals, 50% of you've booked 50% of the meetings needed to get to your phase three pipeline goal. So we're kind of backing up. And then phase one is you've, which is experiment, you've attained 25% of the conversions needed to get to your phase three revenue uh, and pipeline goal. So without a bunch of uh, context and a calculator that I could kind of go into live, that's kind of the direction that we're going, which would account for two large variables, actually three large variables. The goals you have inside your organization, your average contract value, and your sales cycle are incorporated into this um, calculation. Cool. Thank you, Sydney. Stay on because you'll probably go back and forth here, but I want to kind of simplify. There was a lot that was in there. So let's just look at it as as an example. Okay. You're starting like a LinkedIn program. Okay. And your goal is that you want to get $250,000 in revenue from your LinkedIn program. And then you look back at your hero win rate and it's 25% which means that your overall pipeline, hero pipeline goal to close 250K would be a million dollars in pipeline. I'm just doing this for the sake of round numbers. And then you have your pipeline goal of uh, 1 million and then you break it down into the phases. So if you got to 1 million as your goal, then that would be in phase five. 65% would be 650K, that would be phase four. Uh, 30% would be 300K, it would be phase three. Um, the good thing about this as well is that it can be rooted in ROI. So you can look at how much am I, how much are we spending in programs to try and get 250K in revenue? So another variable here is what is the investment level in this program uh, relative to the expected return? So... Um, we used to have just blanket goals. Uh, the point of building in public and the point of sharing this stuff with you is that you all come back with awesome, qu- you all try it for yourselves, come back with awesome questions about what we could be doing better. And then we help continue to optimize and make it better. So this is the second revision that takes in a lot of customized data from your business and allows you to cr- to do it to break down the goals on your own. So I just kind of, you could use that exact breakdown that I had for any of the programs, podcast, social, field. You could say, what is the field might be different, right? You might have a significantly larger expense in field and therefore expecting a greater uh, overall goal correlated with ROI. 
So maybe your field events revenue target for this year is a million. May, and then if your hero win rate on events is 25%, that means that you need to get 4 million in pipe and then you can break that down uh, by the phases and targets with percentages of the total amount. Um, can you revisit too though? I want you to hit on the points at the front of that original statement. They're a, I would assume they're early stage. They have 10 customers. Yeah. Sydney, you're still on mute, so feel free to chime in too. But they have 10 customers and 10 employees total. One of those people is a full-time marketing employee. And they just launched three programs, podcast, social media, and field events. And they're wanting to run all of this through revenue R&D. I mean, I don't, I think this is feasible. Some people might say this is too many, but like field events is probably being run by the VP of sales, not the marketing team. Like, or someone else of the 10 people is probably being run, field is probably being run elsewhere than the one marketer. The podcast and social is probably a combination of the marketer, the CEO, or a co-founder, and some out an outsource resource or something like that. Um, the and pod like podcast and social are kind of one in the same. Like it, there's another addi addition to the workflow, but they're kind of one one in the same. So I think, and out of all the things that you could choose as a ten person company, this is what I would choose. I would have our sales team doing field events and I would have uh, our CEO or co-founder and the one marketer that we have doing podcast and organic social. I think this is the right play. One comment too is when you think about the revenue R&D framework, you're going to have your programs and you're going to have initiatives underneath your programs, which drive your tactics. So if you have three programs that's great. And then if you are focused, laser focused on one initiative with one, maybe two tactics, and you are executing those, seems like that's this is this person is going down. And you are just focused on those things and you're not adding too much, I think it could work as well. Yeah, I think those are all good points. I think that I wanted to hear like a some kind of, you know, statement piece around how I actually don't think most companies understand how these levers cohesively work together. So I feel like it's a really smart move that this person is so early on with very limited resources, it seems, and is trying to find ways to tactically move the needle together across programs that are traditionally run by very three very distinct leaders in very much in silo there's a very natural marriage on how to bring these together and make a be better impact. But I don't think most companies actually look at it that way today. Yeah. It's one of the luxuries of working at a small, small business is that you get multiple hats. And then let me break down a little bit, uh, like more tangibly what Sydney was saying, like the program is linked in, but then being laser focused on the initiatives is key. So like an, an initiative or a list of initiatives under LinkedIn could be, the CEO's personal brand, the CMO's personal brand, paid advertising, influencer marketing, the company page organic. So if you like really play it out, you can get inundated with too many initiatives inside of one program. The idea about being laser focused when you have 10 FTEs is say, we're going all in on our CEO's profile or whatever you decide. We're going all in on this initiative. And then inside of the initiative, you're going to have tactics. Tactics could be we're going to post video, like long form video with text. We're going to post memes. We're going to post graphics of proprietary research. We're going to post polls. 
And so at the tactic level, underneath the CEO personal brand initiative, you can get more creative at the tactics if you want, but the long-term goal is to figure out program initiative tactic or tactics and have something that can be repeatable. Yeah, I love that example. We have some visuals that we could probably show next time or something to illustrate that point. Um, so it's a good takeaway. Thanks for having me on. And yeah. this is a surprise guest. Love it. <laughs> Thanks for joining us, Sydney. So you have shifted the focus of your show previously, Stay at the Manjan, now Revenue Vitals, to a more holistic view of revenue. So I've got a hot take on this one. The revenue process doesn't need R&D. Love the take. Love the take. So if you think about what companies do and how they just how they structure and decide how am I going to run marketing programs, smart people look at it and say, I'm doing portfolio management. I got some long term bets. I got some short term bets. Not every bet is going to play out. I know that there's certain things that need to start 12 months from now if we're going to have them make the impact that we need in next year when we launch our category and people are starting to plan and figure out what are the what are the elements that I'm going to put in place. People are already doing some level of revenue R&D subconsciously because it makes total sense. And they're just doing it without a structure, without a proper way to measure, without a proper way to track programs, without a proper way to understand exactly when programs move or how to categorize them. We've provided all that infrastructure of the stages and how they work. We provided all the infrastructure on how do you measure certain programs? How do you set your data up in a standardized way so that when you compare your data against someone else's, you can know that you're both comparing apples to apples? Point blank, like there's there's nothing more that a revenue team needs than doing this. If you think about what boards are looking for and what CMOs are trying and CROs are trying to show to boards, one of the biggest things is they're trying to show the board that they're ahead of the curve, that they're innovating, that they're trying new things. But then the infrastructure that they put inside of their company directly prevents people from being creative, from trying new things and innovating. And so when a company wants to do some level of R&D, typically on the product, like you got your entire company right here, your machine, and then you're like, okay, we're going to go and build a new product. They put the R&D function outside of the company in a different office with a small team for a reason. It's because when you bring the R&D into the operational complexities of the business, that the short term is going to prevail over the long term and that the current fires are going to prevail over the, the other like forward looking things. And so companies don't have this function. They put they try. They say, OK, we're going to spend 10 percent of our experimentation budget. They put it inside of OPEX. They trap it, track it as working dollars. And that's, it's not an experimentation budget if you're tracking the results against working dollars, because then you push people to do things that they think are going to work, or at least think are going to impede the measurement. And so I think our organization sits at a really interesting seat where we can actually be that R&D function outside, not constrained or bogged down by all the stuff that's happening in the day-to-day, and actually think about what's going what's to impact the business in nine months, in 18 months, how are we like, thinking about way longer term in the future. And the reality is that just like a majority of companies don't think that way. And when you think about how it, how your business is going to scale and grow over the next 10 years, it's going to be driven through product and marketing. Like if you're not having these level of investments to figure things out and you think that you're going to scale your company just like how Salesforce scaled their company with a reverse sales headcount model, I think that you you have just completely missed the boat on how people buy and discover products today. So we'll see. I love when people sort of like, I get the same amount of pushback on self-reported attribution, 
on standardizing pipeline so that it makes sense, not just arbitrarily saying because we booked a meeting, that's what we call pipeline. I take pushback on, you know, on whether companies should run lead gen or not. I take pushback on all my ideas initially. So like, I'm not concerned by this. Companies resist basically anything that's new or different. And so I actually treat it as a good sign. If people aren't like, if people aren't pushing back on a concept, that means that we're, we're not pushing it enough. Yeah, you're too late. <laughs>